This episode of the Cigar Snob Podcast is actually a broadcast that we do on AM radio. So we do a show called The Draw on 12:10 a.m. The Man, which broadcasts in South Florida, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, we've been broadcasting live from Cigar Cellar of Miami at 1557 Sunset Drive, and we're sharing broadcasts of The Draw here on our podcast. So without any further ado, here is the latest installment of The Draw. On 12:10 a.m., the man, which you can also find on Spotify if you search for the draw 12:10, or uh, streaming live again Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday from 12:10theman.com. That's one two one zero theman.com. Otherwise, uh, you should be able to catch uh, episodes of that show right here on the Cigar Snob Podcast feed, unless you want to hear us live, which is always fun. Anyway, here you go. Greetings and welcome. With an echo. With a little bit of an echo to the draw on 1210, the man. That's AM. Your AM dial. We're on 1210. Broadcasting live from Cigar Cellar of Miami with our friends uh, Alex and Jessica over here. And Jackson and Curtis. And Jackson and Curtis and everybody. How many watts do we have? 50,000 watts. That's so many watts. I'm still not used to how many watts we have around here. 50,000 watts is about... You can't... I mean, you walk around Cigar Cellar, you can't walk around too much without running into a watt. Correct. Exactly. We also have Tony Kaladiud over here of the VIP. I think he has 50,000 watts worth of excitement running through his body after he ate one of these boneless chicken wings I brought onto the... Over to the mics. He was losing his mind over there. I've never seen him so excited. (laughs) Me neither. Honestly, I haven't. So, uh, so all kinds of good things happening over here. It's me. It's Eric Calvino. Say hello to the people. Hello, people. We're both people from a place called Cigar Snob Magazine. We are joined by one Curtis George, who is uh, not really a guest on the show. He's just hanging out taking very up close. Residence right next to me. He's yeah. taking up. He's taking. He's set up shop. Set up shop with us over here on the show. Um, so you can't see him, but we can, and it feels pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Nick. So, uh, uh, you something you want to tell me? Uh, well, you know, uh, I'll keep it to myself for now. <laughs> next time, next next show. You want to switch seats with me? <laughs> um, as you know, we have been working our way through the uh, list that we published back in January of the top twenty-five cigars of two thousand eighteen. Today, we are smoking. What is this? Number nineteen? Number twenty? Number twenty? Number twenty? The Espinosa Habano. It is. Uh, we gave it the number twenty spot. In number five, which is a six by fifty-two, that sounded confusing. We gave it the number twenty in number five. Exactly, number five is the name of the size. It's the name that this particular brand gave this size, the six by fifty-two. Just basically a Toro. Pretty much a Toro. Uh, we're in Toro category, ter- uh, Toro territory. Toro territory. We're over here, uh, it is a Nicaraguan puro made at La Zona, which is Eric Espinosa's Esteli factory. So, if you're a fan of uh, any of the Espinosa stuff, any six hundred one uh, Murcielago. Um, also, they make other... They make third-party brands, they like make third Protocol. Pro- exactly, like Protocol, uh, La Jugada. So, a whole bunch of stuff comes out of this uh, relatively small factory. So, it's pretty cool, you know, the, the presence... Arendoza, which is, you know, diminishing their uh, their productions right, nowadays, right. but they're still out there. Yeah, I wish they would keep making t-shirts, because I, I we, have a lot of Arendoza t-shirts. We love t-shirts. the Arango family, which runs the Arendoza oh, brand. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, shout out to the, uh, the Arangos. Yep. Um, 
Okay, so that is what we're smoking. This retails for $7.25. Eric, how are you feeling about the cigar so far? I am loving it. Uh, this cigar is it's creamy as all hell right now. It's It starts off very creamy with a little bit of vanilla, nuts, a uh, bit of cedar. Really loving it. It's like an old-school sort of Cuban cigar taste profile. Yeah, for me, it's heavy on the on the nuts and the cedar. Um, yep. So yeah, but the the vanilla in the background is kind of what what balances it all out. Sure. You may not be tasting it because of all those chicken wings you ate. I was gonna <laughs> say this stands up well to the special grilled chicken yeah. wing. Yeah, but I, you grow. see, I I wanted to be true to this cigar. I wanted to be I wanted to save myself for this cigar. So I didn't eat a chicken wing until the first break, <laughs> where I will devour the rest of them. <laughs> you better well, you better hope I don't get to them first. Or Tony. Uh, so anyway, we'll come back to this cigar and our thoughts on it. But so far, so good. Yeah, you know what? We'll talk uh, on the second segment. We can talk about that trip we took with uh, with Shorty years ago to visit the yep, factory. That was, that was the your first yeah. Nicaraguan trip. First Nicaraguan so I think we trip. Should. That was where you popped your Nicaraguan cherry. Oh boy. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, leave there's it no there. leave it there's right no there. graceful just segue. Boom. Um, so, <laughs> Anthony Davis, we're just gonna jump right into that. Jump right into the brow. Anthony <laughs> Davis has uh, the strongest unibrow in really any sport in the history of sports. I can't think of anyone that even comes close. No, I, I, in sport, maybe like there are certain Muppets with stronger <laughs> stronger unibrows than Anthony Davis. Uh, but certainly in the in the world of sports and probably in the world of any real-life human beings, yep. uh, strongest unibrow in the game. Uh, and he may be having uh, some rings. He may have some rings to put on that unibrow. Is I hope that? that's where he puts them. Okay. <laughs> um, that was weird. Anthony Davis has been traded by the Pelicans to the Los Angeles Lakers for a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of picks. Uh, this is arguably but not very arguably, the most that any team has given up for a superstar uh, in a very long time, like in a decade. In the NBA. In the NBA, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and certainly people have given up a lot of money, but in terms of like how much of your roster you're, you're giving your up. Your current and future roster. Exactly. Three first-round picks. Uh, uh, they're giving up Ball, and they're giving up um, Ingram. Brandon Ingram, yeah. yeah. Josh Hart, right? Josh Hart also, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, giving away the farm, but... I think the hope is that you get him to stick around past this last year of his contract and sign. No, for, I, yeah, I don't think they would have made yeah. that deal, obviously. And he he clearly wants to stick around, yeah. unless some, you know, unless the uh, the poop hits the fan somehow. With LeBron, it's always possible. And so this is what we were talking about in the office. Was I, I think what's going to be interesting is like if you had no personality issues, this would be a match made in heaven, right? Because you've got this. Big, you got a big who's great with the pick and roll, but who's never really been that much of a playmaker. Like this last season, I think he averaged just under four assists, which is a career high. You don't know that he's going to stay around there. Um, so he's not he's not a Chris Bosh, no. Who could you know if he really wanted to sort of run the floor, and that ends up kind of competing with the strengths that a LeBron James brings. Similarly, you know, on uh, offensively, a lot of LeBron James's scoring skills were you know, there was a lot of overlap with Dwayne Wade. Yep. Uh, in this case. Very different games that complement each other very well. However, LeBron James though. notoriously undesirable as a teammate outside of just the fact that he will help you win. Yeah, but I mean, it's evidenced by the the number of people that have not publicly, but sort of uh, passed up this opportunity. Correct. And not only this opportunity, but also other opportunities like 
uh, I'm pretty sure that um, he was public about uh, saying so. But uh, Giannis, the Greek freak, I'm not going to. Yeah, I can't, we can't even. I, it's been lo- he's been I'm in the league so long. Pulpus. I don't yeah. know how to say it. I can't. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good. Pronouncing Hit me with stuff. that again. Hit me with I, that I don't know. I just made it up on the spot. Antetokopoulos. <laughs> Antetokopoulos. Yeah, I, I like. I'm going to go with that. The last version ended with poopus. Well, it has to. It's it's Greek, so you have to end up with that. So uh, poopy. Of the <laughs> of the Milwaukee Let's Bucks. Just call him Giannis. So Giannis Poopy. Sounds uh, a lot like our web guy, Gianni. Gianni. Gianni De- so Gianni Deletta of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> uh, supposedly actually turned down a role on the Space Jam sequel, which I think speaks volumes, right? It's <laughs> I didn't know this. I don't know. Yes. I'm, we're in, uh, you know, and, and I think part of the issue is uncharted that, territory that, for that me right LeBron now. James, you know, is is not the most liked person as yeah. a teammate around the league but also is not in the winning position so i think there's a little, there's an added resentment there that he's sort of comporting himself what with his um the documentary series stuff that he's doing with espn online the space gem sequel stuff but he's he's not even in the playoffs right you're like hunting yeah. for people you got like the front office is a disaster as soon as he shows up not to say that's all his fault no but he he has in a lot of ways traded on the court success for hollywood Future, for a Hollywood future. I mean, I think that's fair, right? Right. He's, he's traded uh, success now on the court because he could have, he could have continued to have success. Right. right? And, I, and, and, that's, and that's one of the things that, you know, when you compare to, say, Michael Jordan, and I'm one of the Michael Jordan diehard fans since I was a little kid. I had a shrine set up in my bedroom and the whole thing. Uh, you and Ed Reed were like this. Yes, so yes. Something you, ha- you and he had in common. I, I didn't get into it. I didn't want to make the interview about me, well, you know. But Some uh, other people did. Some other people may have. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Shout out I, to Ivano. Uh, yeah, so uh, well, when, when that interview is live, so we, we are soon releasing a copy of the this, uh, this little segue, your little sidebar. Uh, the next issue of Cigar Snob Magazine will include a, uh, a long Q&A with Ed Reed, which we talked a bit about in the last uh, installment of The Draw. We did, but I had not read it. And uh, I've not, not heard the audio, exactly. and now I have. Yeah, so... Um, there's some there's some classic Ivan stuff in there. There's good stuff. There's good stuff. Um, but yeah, so... But Michael Jordan, you know... Sing no, it, notori- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> notoriously, like, a little, a little abrasive, but everybody who talks about it in hindsight talks about it in terms of, like, yeah, this guy was, was tough, and he was kind of a pain, but it was always very obvious that it was making people better. Yep. That's not necessarily the case with LeBron James outside of the fact that, yeah, he's making the plays. But he's not the guy that you play with, and then the people go off to other teams and talk about because I played with that guy, I now am doing X, Y, and Z. In yeah, well, he yeah, he's not in that sense. He is not Dwayne Wade, right? Correct. Yeah, very much Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was more of a leader and a teacher sort of figure. Correct. In the, in the he, locker room. he came in, learned a few things, and then hightailed it out of here. Right. So so anyway, will be very interesting to see where all of that goes. Um, now on paper, though. On paper, having those two guys on the floor at the same time makes you an automatic contender. For sure, yeah. There's no way that you're not at least in the conference semis. Correct. Uh, but you know, um, Barring any kind of major injury. And they still have cap space to pick somebody up. I don't know what they do with it. Uh, I don't know if it's enough for like another, for like a big three sort of situation. But they have plenty of room. And you also figure you have to have other components there. You can't ride, you know, two or three guys. No, of course not. It's... But in terms of the trade itself, like in, in um, to put this in football terms, this trade reminds me a little bit of like the Herschel Walker trade to the Cowboys, where they traded the farm to get Herschel Walker. Uh, and so that's that's kind of what this feels like, right? Where you just you give up everything. 
So uh, I mean, three first-round draft picks. That's huge. In basketball, where there's only five players on the floor at a time, it's gigantic. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. I'm, I'm not normally this spiteful with my sports takes, but I like to see LeBron lose at this point. Oh, yeah? You're now full-on Team Petty? I'm full-on Team Petty. Not, not necessarily Team Petty, but I just it, it's not so much out of a hatred for LeBron as I think that LeBron James doing well, not necessarily financially, but in terms of the culture, of, is bad for basketball. Huh. I, th- I think that you want to see people do well who bring more of that stuff that we just said he doesn't have, right? You want to see that rewarded. Um, and the teams that he's succeeded on has been like him carrying the teams on his back. It's, it's impressive to see. He's, yeah. he's an all-time great, you know, I would say second best of all time in Ooh. terms of talented Mr. players. Mr. Michael Jordan fan over here. Mr. Michael Jordan fan over here. But I want to see great teams and people who you know prop other people up uh succeed and i don't he he doesn't do that in the way that i like to see rewarded so for whatever that's worth that's me that's me with my hot takery hey so by mistake i said dallas cowboys trading uh for herschel walker it was the other way around they were trading him away and that's how they got all those picks that gave them unbelievable uh michael irvin and aikman and all that stuff you're fired okay later (laughs) bye guys leave the wings (laughs) um so you know who else has been turned away from his uh, from his that's a, that's fair would-be segment. home? That's you, just as you are leaving the draw in shame. Uh, but with chicken wings. But with chicken wings. Uh, Kyle Kashuv, and we'll explain who that is in a little bit for people who are not aware of him. Uh, this is the headline from DailyWire.com, which is a— You just wanted to switch up, like not make it all reason.com? Make it not, yeah, not make it all— Well, I, I, did, I did pull up some related reason links here, <laughs> just in case. I need to refer to Of course to that. you did. But, uh, but Daily Wire, I think, is an interesting place to go because this column by Ben Shapiro, who, for those who don't know, Ben Shapiro is a co-owner of the Daily Wire, uh, conservative pundit, um, sort of was, was one of the you know, uh, figureheads of the Never Trump uh, camp yep. back in the 2016 campaign. Uh, after the Parkland shooting, Kyle Kashuv sort of became um, a poster child of the conservative side of all the debate that came out. Because he was one of the survivors of the shooting, uh, but was out advocating for gun rights and yep. first, you know, alternative solutions to the ones that people like the David Hoggs and the Cameron Caskies of the world who were behind uh, the march that they did in, in D.C. and all that were pushing for. Uh, so he, through Twitter, and again, one of these Sign of the Times things, through Twitter and, and whatever else ended up sort of being taken under Ben Shapiro's wing. Uh, not so much anymore. Now he's at Turning Points USA. Long story short, he had been admitted to Harvard, was apparently a very good student, and is no longer going to be at Harvard. Well, Harvard rescinded their their acceptance of him. Exactly. So they had accepted him, and then some things came to light. Political uh, enemies of Kyle Kashuv, rightly or wrongly, started coming out with screenshots of conversations he had had online when he was 16 years old. So for him, not that long before, right? This was, he, he's currently 18 years old. He yeah. was 16 years old. Uh, and he d- engages in what I would refer to as some uh, racially charged, if not racist, yep. humor. Um, and it's, it's got him in hot water now. So when we come back from the break, I think you know, what we're going to be talking about here is the details of, of what he said way back when. Uh, or what well, for him was way back when. Yeah, in his um, life, right? Because years is a lot, but in yeah, ours, it's exactly last week. right. And and also just in terms of the maturity gap, the difference between thirty and thirty-two is way different from sixteen and eighteen. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, we'll get into all that and also our thoughts on Harvard 
telling him to uh, take his talents somewhere other than Harvard. Maybe South Beach. Who knows? <laughs> so you are listening to The Draw live from Cigar Cellar at 1557 Sunset Drive. I'm Nick Jimenez with Eric Calvino. Somewhere around here is Tony Coladiud and also a bunch sure. of chicken wings that I need to get to before he does. So stick around. Enjoy these ads. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to The Draw. Fifteen fifty-seven Sunset Drive. That's where Cigar Cellar is. As we've told you in the past, it's not really a cellar, but it's super nice. Pretty sweet place. You should uh, be here, Nicholas. You know what else is is uh, right here? It's a uh, mm-hmm. sports grill. Yes, that's here. And uh, you brought in some chicken wings. I did boneless of the boneless variety. Of the boneless vari- Monday. It's, today's a special day because it's the boneless chicken wing special well, over at. Uh, and thank. Goodness for that. But how many chicken wings do you think I ate during the break while you stepped away from the desk? <laughs> I, I'm afraid to ask. If you look over at the basket, you'll see it's a lot lighter. Oh, man. I, this I, is, I took down three wings. This was not I what I had in mind here. them in the break. This was not what I had in mind here. But I, I'm sure that I've taken down at least at least that many by now. Um, if you do happen yeah, to make your way over here. But just the rate at which I ate them yeah. was uh, no, you got to hurry up. You know, you're trying to be a professional here. Yeah, um, look, Curtis left. Oh, Curtis is gone. He Curtis was is next here. to me. He's like, okay, no, that's gross. He probably took a wing in his pocket. <laughs> um, you got to have pocket wings. Always be ready. Always well, be ready. Pocket wings. Pocket aces, pocket wings. Like a Boy Scout. Uh, so we were talking about Kyle Kashuv. Again, this is the, uh, the Parkland shooting survivor who ended up on the conservative side of the debate over things like gun control and what sort of safety measures and how, you know, how to deal with uh, police departments that you know, a lot of people would argue failed very consequentially um, in the lead-up to that shooting. So, Kyle... I think a lot of people, I mean, I think only one person doesn't argue that, that it failed miserably. Scott Peterson is probably the only person. Well, what, but, I mean, what I mean by that, though, is is how much of a focus to make that, right? Because there were clearly a lot of people who, even if they agreed with that, would have treated it as sort of an afterthought. Case in point, they had that whole town hall, and the entire room was more applauding um, uh, Scott Israel yep. than they were because, and that's who I'm talking about there's more Scott Israel than Peterson because I think Peterson that, that's his name right Peterson, yep, Scott like, Peterson we talked about him last week um, yeah that was sort of more obviously egregious but what I mean by the, the lead up to the shooting yes. is all of the sort of ignored phone calls and all the rest so in any yeah, case yeah like ignored uh, tips and, correct. and things of yeah. that nature so Kyle Kashuv was one of the handful of uh, very high profile uh, survivors uh, also there were some survivors uh, some victims families who were very much uh, in with Kyle Kashuv. Um, Most he, definitely in the minority, though. Correct, absolutely. Uh, and so Kyle ends up sort of being taken under the wing of Ben Shapiro, at least sort of in the virtual space on Twitter, and gets a little bit of, um, from what I understand, mentorship and guidance from Shapiro on, you know, uh, managing his, you know, his uh, his activism. Yep. Until he ends up, I would argue, lamentably, uh, kind of recruited by the people at Turning Points USA. Uh, so he is now, I believe, like their youth outreach director or something um, before he's even started college, which yeah. is fine because he's of the age that you want him reaching out to. But he never came across to me as particularly polished um, or, or all that good at the, um, at the strategy there uh, that he was trying to, to do. So anyway, 
it recent more recently it came him, out yeah. yeah more recently it came out uh somebody who clearly wanted to do him and his career his college career his professional career uh some harm uh, and maybe also was sincerely interested in seeing this stuff punished, came out with some screenshots of what I understand was sort of like a shared document that he and other students were, were working on, yep. where I think if you've ever been 16 years old, you know that there is some point in your life... You say some dumb stuff. You say some dumb stuff. However, the reason why I'm personally more willing to forgive this stuff is because there's situa- like you're sort of experimenting with humor, and you've got two, you've got two boys. Yep. And maybe I'm sure that they don't experiment with this stuff in front of you as they would with some friends. But for sure, there are situations where, like, you start to get exposed to some edgier comedy and you're like, oh, how does this whole pushing the envelope thing work? You yeah. know? Um, and everybody who's been through that, you know, adolescent age knows that they've heard, you know, all sorts of just over the top. Uh, racial humor and very and it's sexist humor. You get all of that when you're 16. Exactly. And the joke is very often not, hey, you know, this is funny because it's a it's a thing to trivialize, but rather how the the joke is that it's it's funny that it's so over the top and so wrong, yep. like a dead baby joke, yep. right? Yep. For the sake of you know, for the sake of not getting into you know, uh, repeating racist humor here, that is a less offensive thing. It's just kind of gross. But, you know, de- or dead kittens or dead puppies. And the joke yeah. is not like, I think it's funny, like if I saw one in front of me, I'd laugh. The joke is, we're being so ridiculous right now. In his case, he did all this in writing. And this is, you know, it, it's not stuff that if you were a parent looking at it, you'd pat him on the back and yep. tell him, good job, kid. You know, you got a career in stand-up in, ahead of you. Uh, not good stuff. Somebody puts it out. He'd already been accepted to Harvard. And Harvard turns around and rescinds his uh, acceptance. So he's apologized publicly. He wrote some letters. I wonder, Eric, um, you know, what, what you, after having seen the story and read through it as a parent, right, because your, your kids are coming into. I've already sent the link to my kids. Yeah. So they're coming into that age. And it w- just go off on that because well, so, I think there's so, probably uh, a lot of angles there. Yeah. So the, the thing that I've always told my kids, not that I don't know if that's what you're asking me, but the thing I've always told my kids is don't, don't tell a joke unless you're willing to say it in front of the person that you're joking about. Unless you're prepared to, to take a punch in the face from that person, then don't tell a joke about that. Uh, and so, yeah, my kids have pushed the envelope a little bit. Uh, and so I always, uh, that, I always use that as a rule of thumb for them, whether or not they do it later on in life, who knows. But, uh, but the, the sad thing about this Kyle Kashuv case is that in all likelihood there isn't another college that will accept them a college of that level because they are all very very liberal in leadership right and so and now this being such a public case he's not getting into a princeton a yale a dartmouth he's not getting into those he's probably gonna have to go like overseas to go to college uh so this is this is pretty damning so his his career uh as a pro, as an activist and person, better better take off on its own without the benefit of of Harvard of a Harvard education. Absolutely, and and sort of to fo- to follow up there, uh, how do you see? And you know, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here because it's also there are things that you believe to be true that you probably wouldn't tell your kids because your kids are still figuring stuff out and they might take some of this input and and take it the wrong way or do the math incorrectly. But there is something like there. There is something that is sort of, um, at least in adulthood, 
that we accept when people are trying to be funny, right? You, you sort of gauge people's sincerity and their intent and all the rest. Yep. Uh, and that seems to have gone right out the window here. Um, so I guess the question in my mind is like, how do we, and by we, I just mean like very broadly. Collectively. Yeah, collectively in this, at this time when everything that you say, online at least, is potentially preserved and can come around to bite you, whether it's two years, 20 years, or 50 years later, um, how do we address that without creating a society of people who are just afraid to communicate like normal human beings? Because there is something natural and normal and even sort of um, constructive about some of that kind of racial humor, right? In the way that, that uh, when you hear any comedian go on about this, the fact that we're able to talk about it and laugh about it takes away you know, some of the sort of to, to ridicule the racism itself yep. and to treat it as as a funny, mockable thing takes is, is sort of a jab at it. Yeah. And and the way that and it's funny that I've had a, a little bit of a conversation about this with uh, with my kids in that the moments that are the funniest when a stand up comedian does a joke that is racially charged or sexist charger, the, the ones that are the funniest are the ones that that are infused with with love for those people. Right. And that's when it works and that's when it feels good. But when it comes out of a hateful place uh, or a place of ignorance, that's when they don't work. And that's when it's not funny. So my, what I tell my kids all the time, aside from, uh, from the fact that if you're going to tell a joke, you better be able to tell it in front of that person, right? right? Or a person of that race or of that sex or, or of that age or whatever it is. Uh, the other part is, is that I want them to understand those people or those sexes or those age groups before they go out telling jokes about that. Because one, I have my, my oldest son, he, he fashions himself a bit of a comic. Right. And so I always tell him, if you're going to say a joke about, about women, then you better understand where you're coming from, and you, you, it better come from a place of love, and you are mockingly, uh, you're mocking your mom, but you better be able to do it in a way that's funny and not hurtful. Yeah. So it's tough. It's a, it's a razor's edge there, right? Yeah. Because comedy is about hurting a little bit, but not in a bad way. Like, right. for example, like a, a, a wedding roast. Like I roasted my little brother at his wedding uh, as a wedding toast. Instead of, uh, instead of doing a wedding toast, I did a bit of a wedding roast. But it's a, obviously from a place of love, right? I love my little brother. And the things that I was saying were funny, and people were like, yeah, he is just like that. Right. Right? Uh, and it was teasing, and, and, and he was shocked that I was doing that on his wedding. But he got it, and he laughed, and he loved it. And it's because the jokes were coming from a place of love, not a place of hate or ignorance. Yeah. And I, I think a, an important distinction here, though, is that this was almost certainly not stuff that Kyle Kashuv would have said in front of the people. Correct. There's a and lot of N-words he's dropping there. Yep. So which brings us to the next thing is where do we draw the line on making, these, on making someone, treating them as irredeemable, right? Because even if this had happened when he was 30, 32, everybody says dumb things. And I think you've got to be able to gauge someone's sincerity when they say, hey, look, I've grown since. That's a thing that I did in a stupid moment of just human error. And he's, Kyle Kashuv wrote this a series of tweets, and I'll read uh, the two that are relevant to this point, which I think were, I don't know whether he got any help with making these points, but I thought were like the most brilliant part of it in terms of Harvard's decision to treat him as irredeemable. Uh, and the tweets were, uh, Harvard deciding that someone can't grow, especially after a life-altering event like the shooting, is deeply concerning. 
If any institution should understand growth, it's Harvard, which, looked, which is looked to as the pinnacle of higher education despite its checkered past. The next tweet, throughout its history, Harvard's faculty has included slave owners, segregationists, bigots, and anti-Semites. If Harvard is suggesting that growth isn't, uh, isn't possible and that our past defines our future, then Harvard is an inherently racist institution, but I don't believe that. Which, and that's where I think, you know, uh, his response hits the thing out of the park. Where yes, it does. We are all, you know, flawed. To use, like, put it in more couch in more religious terms, we're all fallen, right? Yep. And we've got to understand that about each other and, if, and be able to recognize when someone is sincere in their wanting uh, to move forward and, and, and also value that they may have learned from these mistakes. If you're an academic institution, it seems to me like that's the sort of place where that should be most valued. Yeah. Well, this reminds me a lot of the, uh, the Kevin Hart stuff. Right. Where it was homophobic, uh, the homophobic jokes. And he's saying, hey, I dealt with this. I grew from this. I was wrong. I apologize. Uh, this is very similar. This guy was 16 when he said that. Exactly. You know, uh, wow. Kevin Hart was in his 20s when he made them, those mistakes. Yeah. So this is the draw, and we like smoking cigars. So let's come back to this Espinosa Habano that we've been smoking. This is the number five. That's the size, but it was number 20 on our In list. our hearts. In our, in our hearts and on our <laughs> list of the top 25 cigars of the year. Eric, how are you feeling about this Espinosa Habano? I'm, I'm loving it because it started, uh, as I mentioned earlier, for those that weren't tuned in, that's, I don't know why you would do that, but uh, but those that were not doing that, you, so I said in the beginning that it was very creamy, uh, cedar, nuts, and then a touch of vanilla in the background. As it's continued to develop, and now, now I'm at about the midway point, uh, as it continued to develop, it's now gotten a touch of earthiness and more pepper. And so it's changing beautifully. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the cigar. Yeah. For me, a lot of the uh, flavors have faded that I associate with chicken wings. <laughs> um, now that I am about 15 minutes removed from my last chicken wing, uh, so I am picking up on a lot more more pronounced versions of what you were talking about because a lot of it was being balanced out, yeah. rounded out by <laughs> special grilled sauce or complimented or complimented, sure. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm picking up a lot of uh, sort of like a peanutty nuttiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's very peanut. Oh, Tony's going wing. in. Tony's going in for more wing. Uh, yeah, but it's it's to me it's got a very peanutty quality. I do get some of that pepper. Um, it's uh, and it's even got sort of like um, the flavor of uh, like toasted toasted bread. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Toast. Um, we, yeah, we call that toast. So yeah, yeah. Toasted bread. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, man. I'm 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 enjoying this. Um, and when we come back from the other side of the break, we spent a lot more time on Kyle Kashuv than I thought we would. We did. Uh, and really, I, I think that's the sort of thing that we could go on for a whole show about, but I don't think we will. No. Nope. However, we'll we'll come back to it in a, another show if more happens, and I think it will. He'll be accepted to another school. That school will have something to say, and all the rest. Um, but anyway, uh, big fan of this cigar. And when we come back on the other side. We're going to be talking about uh, the trip that Eric and I took to Esteli, Nicaragua, with the owner of this brand. Uh, this was back in 2013. Wow, oh, you remember my, that? Yeah, well, because it was when I started with the magazine. Ah, so it was my true. first time in Nicaragua, uh, at least, yeah, first time ever in Nicaragua. And uh, we did a whole uh, romp through Esteli, visiting factories and whatnot. So we'll talk about, a bit about that. Uh, you are listening to The Draw live from Cigar Cellar at 1557 Sunset Drive. On 1210 AM, The Man, you're about to hear some of the best commercials in the radio game. Come Enjoy. on back, y'all. Welcome back to The Draw. I'm Nick Jimenez with Eric Calvino. What's happening? We are both people from a place called Cigar Snob Magazine. Right now, 
we are at Cigar Cellar. Eric, did you know that Cigar Cellar is a sponsor of this program? I was not aware of that. Of this program? <laughs> well, thank God for that. I've been told to say this, which I mean with every fiber of my being. Hey, guys. It's Nick Jimenez from The Draw. As a person who travels the world visiting cigar lounges. Which you do. I do do that, mostly domestically, but that's a part of the world. Cigar snob, we don't have global budget here. But I, I have been to other places. I have used my passport, and every time I use my passport, I smoke cigars in a lounge. Okay. This is true. Fair. People ask me about the best cigar bars in Miami. I always answer Cigar Cellar, located right off Sunset Drive in South Miami, very close to Sports Grill, where you should buy me chicken wings. Owner Alex Broche invites you to the man cave that is Cigar Cellar. They have a great selection, including Oliva, My Father, La Flor Dominicana, CLE, Arturo Fuente, and some excellent craft beers and wine. This is not in the ad copy, but I will note for our listeners that they have easily the coolest humidor door handle in the industry. It works with fingerprints. If you remember, your fingerprint's in there. You feel like James Bond when you're going in to get your thing. Everybody else looks at you like, hey, how come I can't do that? And you say, hey, get out of here. Sorry, you're not a VIP like me. And you get to like, you know. So there's a VIP program here? There is a VIP. There is a members program. What are the perks of that? The perks are mainly looking down your nose at everybody else in the I shop. I love that. That's pretty great. So there, and on top of that, there's 24-hour access to their VIP member lounge with humidified lockers, a TV, and big discounts. Not the little discounts, the big discounts. And now, not for Father's Day. Father's Day, you, if you missed the Father's Day special, too bad for you. But there will be other specials. So... Stay on top of these specials. There will be other things. There will be events. Cigar Cellar is also the home of our radio show. You can come here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and hang out with us. What more? You don't even have to be a member. No. You don't have to pay for a membership for this. We are live on site Monday, today is Monday, through Wednesday at 6 p.m. We hang out, smoke, and talk all manner of cigar snobbery. Visit Alex Broche and the great people at Cigar Cellar, and they will make you a VIP Especially if you pay for then, then you're like a VIP times two. Yeah. Next level VIP. 1557 Sunset Drive, right by the Sports Grill. You can call them at 305-381-0458 and they follow have, them. Do they have a website? It, 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 a, a website? They, do, they, do they have a website? Wow. You can follow them on Instagram at cigar underscore seller. Is there a website? Yes, yeah, cigarsellerofmiami.com. Cigarsellerofmiami.com. Look at there's so many ways to find these people. Alex is over there holding up a sign like this Tell them about my website. Tell them about the website. Uh, follow them on Instagram, cigar underscore seller. It's cigar seller. C E L L A R. Not not like seller. Not like, like they're a no, seller of cigars. Like a seller, like an underground, seller. like a wine seller, but a cigar seller. Uh, not like celery, which again is what should be on the side with the chicken wings you buy me what at happened? Sports. They didn't include them. They didn't. I'm very upset. I'm going to go ask for my money back. Uh, all right. So moving on to the show. This that was. I'm sorry. In terms of minutes spent, somebody got more than the bang for their buck that they anticipated on that live read. For real. We have. I think we have more fun doing ads for Cigar Cellar than we do actually doing our show and I think talking so. about. I think we could else. just do a whole show of ads for Cigar Cellar. I, I would love to do that. Just do a whole hour of live reads that we do that with. Just, just question and answer. Yeah. So actually, uh, we. What's um, the name of the dog? <laughs> So I've been, um, I, uh, as a side thing, uh, I've mentioned here, I think, that I produce a podcast for Chef Mike Beltran, who's been a, a guest on our show. Yep. It's called Pan Kong Podcast. 
And um, we did one episode where I'm so I, proud of that name. Oh man, I'm so proud of that. We did one episode where I was feeding him uh, fake ad reads. So we did a read uh, for Croqueta Doorstops, the doorstop that is also a croqueta. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. And I came up with the t- again. I'm super proud of this. I, I wish that he were more comfortable, um, you know, diminishing his own brand by following yeah. me down this road. Uh, the tagline I came up with was "This meriendita has an open door policy." Ooh. Oh baby! All right, so. We are again. We're smoking Espinosa Habano. Uh, that probably has to do with how late our magazine is. Yeah, always. maybe, maybe <laughs> Espinosa Habano. Coming up with these things in the number five Vitola. It is uh, basically a Toro. So uh, we'll come back to the cigar because we were talking about it just before the break. Uh, in the meantime, Eric, what were we going to talk about here? Oh, Father's Day, Eric. What'd you do for Father's Day? Well, I thought we wanted to talk a little bit about the trip. Oh, yeah, let's talk about the trip. Yeah, the trip to yes. La Zona. So back in 2013, back in 2013, Eric, uh, Eric and I went to Nicaragua. By then, you had been about how many times? Because you'd been in the business for quite a while. Then. Yeah, so I, I had been to Nicaragua a good six, seven times by then. Okay. And so that was my first time in Nicaragua at all, let alone... I was a Nicaraguan veteran. Nicaraguan veteran. Uh, and this was a Not trip... Not a veteran of a Nicaraguan war. A veteran no. of... Yeah. No, thank goodness. Um, but no, we were there hosted by Eric Espinosa. A.K.A. Chori. A.K.A. Chori. Uh, that's a shorty. Shorty, for the, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, the Spanish word for shorty is Chori. Uh, so you know we, that coincidentally, that was my sister's nickname in, no, no uh, in, in high school. Yeah, it was her na- And she had a, a, a tag made for her car that said shorty. Oh, nice. And, uh, but, but it was very appropriate for her because yes. she's 4'11". Yeah. Shorty is more shorty in the way that, like, uh, mobster nicknames don't make sense. Sure. Right? He's not particularly short. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So, anyway, uh, we were hosted by Shorty and the Espinosa people over in Esteli. Hector Alfonso. Hector Alfonso. uh, uh, I'm sorry. What is the name of the guy guy who manages the factory? Is he still there? Machito. Machito. Another great nickname. Uh, If you know the people at La Zona, you know that it figures that they would have great – okay, that they would have great nicknames. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, we, we were hosted by them and they sort of, you know, facilitated our whole tour of Esteli, which speaks to, I think, how cool the cigar industry is that you yep. can, you can go be hosted by, you know, company X. Well, do you, you remember that on that trip, we actually stayed at Drew Estate. Right. Yeah. We stayed at, at Drew Estate, yeah. uh, La Gran Fabrica and their little hotel section that they exactly, have. Exactly. Yeah. And everybody's doing everybody favors yep. and the guys from La Zona and from Drew Estate are giving us rides to third and fourth and fifth uh, factories. Yep. Uh, so it's kind of one of the cool things, you know, that, and, and that was sort of where I got my first taste of that, uh, of how the relationships are in the cigar industry. I, I've, I've been in other industries before and that is not quite the way they behave, you know, everybody. At, at least not with competition. Exactly. Right. Like right. a competitor doesn't help another competitor get more editorial coverage. Exactly. And people who are not only competing for the same customers, right, because they all want you smoking their cigar, but they're competing for the same raw material yep. and the same rollers and the same everything. Um, so it very is a cool. vertically integrated competition. Exactly. I, I've probably said it on this show before at some point, but I, I always tell people who are uh, totally unfamiliar and haven't been on the inside of it that the cigar industry behaves a little bit like a high school cafeteria. Um, but with a lot more trading. With a lot more trading. <laughs> no, yeah. but not, not a lot of people trade their lunches. Right, right, in right. High school cafeterias. Yeah, I had the. I, I was a very privileged young man, and I had. Oh boy, all, here we go. All you, can, all you can eat lunches. Oh that was, my god! And I came in. I, I started. Us public school kids didn't get that. Oh, I don't know. I said, the, the only thing that you was had not the all free you can eat, and reduced lunch. You got you got a little ticket. You got a little <laughs> like a re, you know redeem one ticket on uh, like I think it was maybe every once a semester they did churraco day. Whoa. 
You got a little red we ticket. Didn't get, to we didn't get churraco at Gables High. Oh, bueno. That's that's the main benefit. We got mac and cheese. Corn. It was corn dog day. You were like, whoa, we got corn dogs. The, the main benefit of a private school education is churraco once a semester. That's, that's the main thing. Otherwise, my parents, no, forget you. No, I'm sorry. Well, there's no good. way that we're doing this. Um, anyway. But I, that little redeem one, redeem one ticket sounds like uh, like something that would have a value. Oh, yes. So, so is that where there you were was, There was yeah. some trading. There yeah. was, especially like uh, some of the athletes who, you know, ate a lot. And then there were the guys who were like, you know, not the you, the no, <laughs> you guys. I, I, I was <laughs> I was not an athlete. Yeah, I that's ate, why I exactly. ate like an athlete. I had the caloric intake of an ah, athlete. Ah, ah. Uh, and so I was not trading away my churraco tickets. That was ah, absolutely okay. not happening. You were writing term papers for an exchange of churraco tickets? I don't know tickets? what I was doing. I, I was editing people's cigar articles. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, all of this is to say. Uh, that I have no idea how we got here, but there's also good, there's also good steak in Nicaragua. Oh, very good, very true. Yes. So um, we have a story that you can actually find online if you go and you search uh, our website and go to the travel section. It's cigarsnob.com, uh, and there is a guide there to touring Esteli the way that we did back in 2013 on your own. Now, given the political situation in Esteli, it's a little a little more complicated these days. Uh, but when things chill out a little more, I highly recommend that people do that. And if you are a meat lover, if you can stand to lose variety for a few days for to quality, a week yeah. and just eat great steak and gallo pinto all the time, that is a great trip. I don't know what the health consequences of that are. They're probably not good. My, first, my very first trip to Nicaragua, <laughs> I ate so much steak and uh, gallo pinto, which is the, that rice and beans mixed together, uh, tostones. And then and these tostones that they would put uh, like fresh like that white that uh, that cheese on like queso blanco, mm-hmm. they would have tostones with queso blanco. I, I ate that every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for for four straight days. I came back and I was I was in trouble. Yeah, I did not <laughs> I, I did not handle that well. As, as we like to, I was uh, hospitalized. As we like to say in the office, and some people might get this viral video reference from roughly fifteen years ago. It's gonna be bad for you. Yeah. Uh, all right, so. Shifting to a little bit of a segue here. So Shorty and all the people in Esteli are certainly friends of cigars and cigar lovers. You know who's not a friend right now is Mitch McConnell. Republican Mitch McConnell. Supposed to be a friend. Uh, He's from Kentucky. He is from Kentucky. Uh, Mitch McConnell, this is according to NPR, has sponsored a bill, quote, along with Virginia Democratic Senator Tim Kaine, who you might remember was Hillary Clinton's running mate, uh, that would increase the tobacco purchase age from 18 to 21, uh, and this, of course, would be raising it federally across all 50 states. Um, so, Eric, uh, again, you've been in this business and around this business and covering this business for certainly uh, a lot longer than I have and, and longer than most people in cigar media, actually. This is, this is the first time that I've conceived of it that way, but basically was aficionado. And on as far as lifestyle magazines are concerned, it's, yep. it's, it, we're the, the next in seniority. Um, yeah. In terms of the, the presence in the industry, uh, how do you see w- what is your just gut reaction when you hear about something like this, especially coming from uh, somebody who is a leader in the party that's supposed to be friendlier to this industry? Well, so I look at this with uh, with some skepticism on, on Mitch McConnell's side. I think I think that he's been uh, influenced by uh, by Altria. I think Altria is looking to insulate the cigarette business and the overall tobacco business uh, from from extra scrutiny, just like uh, like in liquor, right? They're insulated from 
from from scrutiny and legislation because because they're 21 is the legal minimum inking, uh, drinking age. So I think that the the uh, tobacco business, uh, big tobacco being cigarettes and Altria, I think that they're looking to insulate themselves from uh, legis from further legislation uh, by moving the the minimum smoking age to 21. And I think M Mitch McConnell is is uh, is just acting on that. I don't I don't think that it's Mitch McConnell himself thinking, oh, I need to do this uh, to help uh, reduce cancer rates in my state or something along those lines. I think it's it's strictly motivated by uh, by Altria. Yeah, I, I think you and I probably see this a little bit differently. I'm I'm about you know 60 percent of the way there. Certainly, I think that the money. Um, and whatever other you know influence uh, a company of that size and with a lobby that strong uh, exerts has an influence, but I don't think that it gets somebody on a particular side of the fence. I think you're sitting where you are. So, for example, I would if I were somebody who already thought, yeah, that seems like it'd be a good idea to raise the tobacco purchase age. Maybe I'm just not I'm dragging my feet, or it's not something I'm paying a lot of attention to. And that influence and that money or that whatever else is kind of what moves me to pushes go ahead it up and, to the top. Right, pushes it to think? the top of my priority list or something Maybe. like that. Um, either way, t to me, the irony here, I don't even know, maybe even uh, a willful hypocrisy or a willful sort of like uh, ignorance. There's a little bit of a doublespeak here. So a quote from Mitch McConnell. Our state once grew tobacco like none other, said McConnell, and now we're being hit by the health consequences of tobacco use like none other. So number one, we are no longer in the you know colonial days when the tobacco grown in Kentucky was sold directly to Kentuckians or whatever they are. Yep. This is a global economy where, especially in the case of premium cigars, we're talking about tobacco that's got nothing to do with you in Kentucky for the most part. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, that's not reasoning that you would employ anywhere else because you're also distilling a whole hell of a lot of bourbon in your state. You tell me whether that's, you know, are you, are you rushing to curb the negative, uh, you know, health impact and, lo and loss of life that can be directly tied to alcohol by mm -hmm. creating more barriers for your state's bourbon producers? Absolutely not. Get all the way out of here with that. Um, and so that to me is sort of where, you know, where the hypocrisy comes. And uh, this was shared, um, I don't know how public his thing is, so I won't, I won't name him just in case, but this was somebody in the cigar industry whose, you know, whose comment on, on sharing this article was about, you know, uh, kind of pointing out the hypocrisy also of, of small government Republicans, quote unquote, right? So this is, that's what's frustrating to me is I'm not a Republican, uh, but I am somebody who appreciates the Republican Party's supposed, or at least their posturing on, on small government, you know, intervention in the economy. Yeah. And there's nothing small about this. We're talking nope. about raising this age. Again, you can you can buy a gun, you can go to war, you can do all that stuff, and you're going to tell them like you can't smoke a cigar. Yeah. And then, and then what happens with soldiers? Which is the that's one of the things that comes to my mind because you always hear that analogy, and I'm sure somebody in the comments that I was reading on these stories makes this point. What do you do with somebody who's in Afghanistan? Yeah. Wanting to smoke, do, do you separate them? Like, no, I'm sorry. Wait until your birthday. You know, do do a few more tours, and then you can share a cigar with us because yeah, that's the here. laws back home. Get out of here. What are you talking about? Mitch McConnell would not deny somebody like that a cigar, um, and there, I don't think there's any reason to deny any adult, uh, you know, the the option or the liberty to enjoy cigars wherever the hell it is that they want, uh, and certainly not inside of a place like Cigar Cellar where you're not bothering anybody, the ventilation is good, all the rest. Um, 
so yeah, just just craziness. Not into I, it. I think that uh, the impact uh, to the cigar business, specifically like the premium cigar side, is not too great, right? Because right. premium cigars are not enjoyed mostly by then uh, people don't start off at eighteen. Of course not. You know so. Uh, in terms of the impact to the cigar business, that remains to be seen. Probably some people have uh, have thoughts on the on the other side of that, but um, but I think this obviously uh, impacts the way that they can insulate themselves from further legislation, and that really relates to cigarette producers like right. Altria. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so we are coming up on the end of the show. We normally give you parting recommendations, Eric. I don't know whether you have one ready, but I do. So we can. I'd rather hear yours because. Uh, yeah, mine has to do with this weekend, and we so did talk about it. mine is a now-defunct series of web comics called Hipster Hitler. Oh, boy. Hilarious. If Hitler were a hipster, that's the premise of this thing. So check out hipsterhitler.com, and you will laugh your butt off. It's all making fun of Hitler and the Nazis. Pretty great. Uh, all right. That's it. I think we're pretty much coming up on the end of the show. You are listening to That's The it? Draw. That was, fast. that was it. Hipster Hitler, and we're ending on that. No more wings, that. and we're done. No more wings. Uh, we're The Draw. This is The Draw. That's the name of the show. We're live from Cigar Cellar at 1557 Sunset Drive on 1210 AM. The Man, thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. See you tomorrow, y'all, with Carluba. <laughs>